The very first time I had a beer, it was, I believe, a Bud Dry. <laughs> and that's probably not true for a whole lot of people, but it's part of my story, and I like it as someone who tests as an Enneagram 4. It's a unique first beer experience, the Bud Dry. It doesn't even exist anymore. At the time, beer pretty much only showed up at parties or in TV commercials, and there was never any talk about hops or malt or really any kind of conversation about beer and flavor outside of trying to sell it, much less between beer drinkers, which is to say that the culture around beer was thin, and that's not the case anymore. The most recent beer I had was last night, a neighborhood friend's birthday party where we tasted eight different beers from local breweries and talked about the differences in composition and flavor and complexity, the way people talk about wine or paintings or songs. Beer culture is a vital social space that, as a culture, provides a doorway into relationship and conversation even broader than wine and fine art, probably more like music, which is the thing I like most about the team at Harding House Brewery in Nashville, and why it meant so much that among the many excellent beers they have brewed over the years and released, two of those beers are actually named after words I've written? <laughs> It's like a legitimate career highlight to be included in their work that way. I got to sit down with them in Nashville a few weeks ago, and it was a delightful conversation. Check it out. So we're in your space. This is this is like the place, the brewery-ish. Yep. So this is like tap room and brewery. How long have you been in this building? Well, for just about two years, a little over two years. Okay. And was it like, was this the dream to like, to have like a brick and mortar, like a space where it was like yours and you were doing like, was that like the actual dream or how did, like, how did, how do you get here? Like, what's the story here? Yeah. You want to take this one? Um, yeah. So do I need to like say who I am? No, I'll, I'll do all that oh, in the yeah. front end. <laughs> um, so, um, I started home brewing. Um, th this is the story of how we started. I'll yeah, do yeah. it in that shell. Uh, I started homebrewing the month I graduated from college. Matt and I went to um, a small private Christian university here in Nashville uh, where beer is definitely not um, light. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I graduated. And, you know, when you graduate, you sort of disperse and you don't know, have that instant community that you have yeah. uh, that you do in college. And so we're trying to find something that would keep us together. And we're, of course, you know, the fresh 21-year-olds who could, you know, drink beer publicly now is like, oh, let's make beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, that was something that would we could have a rhythm to it um, that would bring us together, that we could do together. Yeah. Um, a lot of time, you know, guys need something to do together in order to spend time. So we, we decided to make beer. Um, huh. So from that, you know, we started you know, brewing once a month. And um, this idea of beer and community just started to evolve. We started naming beers. Um, we all had sort of, we came from a background that they started naming beers with what we were doing huh. and uh, started making labels for the beers and got some attention. And we yeah. had, um, I had people sort of say, hey, this is a good idea. You should start something. And then um, eventually, like every home brewery, you're pining off beer because you're making so much beer. Um, I um, 
Matt heard about what I was doing, and that was what I convinced, um, got Matt on board to join me with what I was doing. Um, were you the, both beer guys at the time? Were you the beer guy, and you were like the logistics? Like how did like what was the partnership there? So Matt, Matt like heard about me homebrewing and knew that I had this dream of starting a brewery, and of course you know we both like beer. And uh, we're in business classes together, and it's actually our sister who gave us the uh, connection. Oh, cool. And so he's like, sure, let's do this. Yeah. Um, and so um, a couple months go by, Tyler and I were in a small group at church together, and of course I'm giving him homebrew like every time we meet. And um, Like, like the, the favorite guy yes. in the group. <laughs> yeah, and um, he's always supportive. He bought like, a pint glass from me. And um, and uh, Tyler and I are b- brother-in-laws. At the time, we were not brother-in-laws. We later, huh. later became a family. And um, wow. Matt and I were like, hey, we need one more guy. And but I was like, and of course, he was talking to my sister. And I was like, okay, Katie, like, we need to try to convince Tyler to join this team. <laughs> and that's how the team sort of came about so. that's very cool so what is that, did you grow up around like brew culture like well like how do you get into a place where like you graduate from like private christian school where like people are like yeah don't drink don't smoke don't talk about people who do to like you run a brew like, yeah. like so was it like in like it was in your family it was just in your head like how do you how do you come into a knowledge of yeah, like beer and brewing that's a good question a lot of people ask us where we're come from the the, the vein of Church of Christ, which is a small evangelical, uh, non-denominational denomination, um, really based in the South, and did not go, they, they do not like alcohol. They are very no, big in <laughs> the temperance movement. And so a lot of people ask us how a bunch of good old Church of Christ boys got into beer. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, I got to tell them this big, long story, and I get a lot of church ladies you know, questioning what I do <laughs> um, <laughs> and what we do. Um, but um, didn't grow up around beer. Never really grew up around alcohol. Alcohol was not definitely something that was evil in my household. It just was something that wasn't talked about and yeah. wasn't done. And um, and I think um, I think uh, the craft movement has allowed an avenue. Um, uh, and we could talk about that more, an avenue in which that we could get into beer and offered an alternative to what was, to what the other alcohol culture there was yeah. at the time. Um, so in other words, like, because it was about the craft and not like, hey, we're making beer broad, like we're into booze, we're going to get boozy. It was like, hey, there's an art to this thing. Yeah. And it sort of opened the door to like, this isn't just some dudes trying to get tanked. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 I think a lot of us like saw the opportunity to engage with people through um, brewing beer, making beer, enjoying beer with others. Um, it kind of has this unique ability to bring people together um, and kind of open people up, have some really meaningful, enjoyable conversations that uh, go beyond surface level. Yeah. And so we wanted to be able to kind of contribute to that kind of community and yeah. see how far we could take it. And um, that's kind of why we went with like the brick and mortar approach to have a tap room, um, because 
we didn't want to just make the beer. We wanted to create a space for people to, you know, engage with one another. Um, I think COVID has really uh, exposed the need for human interaction huh. more so than I, at least I knew. Like I was like, okay, everything's going to go digital. Like that's just the way the world's moving. And then COVID happened. And then I realized like Zoom meetings are not the end all be all. Like you got to have human interaction. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we really just wanted to make a space that could allow for that to happen. That's good. When, like, when you went to, like, create the space, was, was there a vision for, like, uh, it sounds like the primary thing was actually putting people in a room to, like, be together. And the beer is like a, it's like a, um, it's, it's a like tool. a magnet. It yeah, is. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, we've always said it's like a vehicle that brings people together. It's not the end all be all. It's just the thing that starts the other things of community so the conversation the community right. the people being together is the right. thing is is the thing that drives your yeah. culture so we want we want to create beers that are creative and unique that have elements in them that are special themselves that people will talk about but then relate it to something that's a little deeper or meaningful that they can you know that there's depth to what we're creating that drives these deeper conversations between people the, the beer itself the beer itself. Give, an exa- give me an example um well the best one well, Nate can probably speak to these the best, but our, uh, tell them about like eighth day or... Yeah, I guess so. Th- this is how I look at, how we look at beer and brewing. Beer is our tool and our canvas in order to tell stories. So we, I look at our jobs as telling stories and we, we need to think about what kind of stories, what kind of narrative do we want to tell the world? And we want those stories and those narratives to be about life and love and community and faith and doubt and pain and, and the hmm. human existence. The stories is what really brings people together and what can um, bond that community. It's when you can share a story and you can learn and you learn someone else's story, you, you see them as, you see their humanity yeah, and, and what they are. So, um, there's so many exam- examples so, um, that we want to tell about, um, about those things. And one example, I think what got us connected to you and with your prayer of the beloved, I'm a big fan of Henry Nowen. Yeah. His book called Life of the Beloved is a gorgeous letter written to the world saying, hey, you are the beloved and your prayer, your little prayer really encapsulates yeah. That great, that great meaning. Hmm. It's that idea that beer um, and the table, and for us, the bar, is a place where people, no matter who they are, are welcome and come come to sit. So we say for us to share a beer is to break bread with someone. And to break bread with someone is a sign of peace and a sign of fellowship. So we tell people we want to share a beer with you. That means we want fellowship with you. We want you a part of this community. Yeah. Um, and so that's why beer is that big important tool to, to help us create this vision and make our, our little piece of the world a little bit better and a little bit more we'll love. That's good. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's a trick too, because it's like when folks like it's almost like there shouldn't there shouldn't be that gap right in terms of like what like what booze or what beer can be in terms of social interaction there is though like but you know when we when folks say like hey let's you know we're gonna have a conversation with someone they'll say something along the lines of like hey let's get a coffee 
right. or let's get a drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah. But then like, you know, in, in general conversation around like, like whether it's coffee brewing or whether it's, uh, or whether it's beer or whiskey or whatever, like there's not, there, there isn't often that much, uh, how's it? I don't off, I don't often hear that much intentionality, at least like peripherally to like the making to the, to the craft of it from the standpoint of like, this is going to be facilitating relationship. So this, it's a, like, I love the collision. I love the intentionality. Yeah. yeah. So the, yeah. So how we, one way that, that this idea, you know, this is very high, the way that we can make that practical is that first we, we, we make a statement and, we get this from a guy named Wendell Berry. He's an author and act, uh, activist, um, a farmer up in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I swear to call him the patron saint um, of the of the small American farm. Um, I'm not sure that you read any of oh, his yeah. stuff. It's, we, we, I call him the patron saint of our brewery as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he has a statement where he says, to eat is an agricultural act. And so we translate that by saying to drink is an agricultural act. Hmm. So we're making an agricultural product. And a lot of people, when they think about beer, they think it's stainless steel and whatnot. But we want people to think about the soil. And Wendell Berry says the health of the soil is the health of the community. And we're all about community. So we're we're making something that comes from the ground. We want to make sure it comes from the ground around us. Wow. And basically what what you can really sum up a lot of what Wendell Berry said is one of the best ways that you can love your neighbors. And a lot of people don't think uh, think about it like this, is that one of the best ways you can love your neighbors is to buy local. And really now more than ever, and that makes more sense, in the time that we're in, but to buy local is a great way to love your neighbor yeah. because they're right next to you and they need that just as much as you do. And so Bindel Bear is all about this creation, all about this creation of regional and local economies, and we want to be a part of that. We see That's ourselves as a processor and we want to connect the farmer to the end consumer. And so, um, and we could get into like what I call the theology of. You know, creation, I call it beer theology and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But um, so the way that we do this, that we help create these intentional communities, is that we do, we make a truly hyper-local beer. So we use 100% all-local grain. I'm on the farm every other day. I'm on the phone every other day with farmers and growers seeing what's in season, what they're planting, what's in harvest. Hmm. So that I can, we can make a beer that really represents the place where it's at. And it's huh. a gift that I get to see people who grow our beer, drinking beer alongside the people who are enjoying enjoying it as well. Wow. And that they get to know the name or the story or the place where their beer actually comes from. And it's, again, a way that we can create this community because we are creating something that is organic, yeah, that really is good. from the ground. So then, um, take me talk, talk about like uh, it, folks. Oftentimes, they get into to like some phase where like they get the shop up, they get the, they've got the tap room, and then like the dream gets bigger, and there's like the distribution part of things. Mm-hmm. Do you have like long term like dreams in terms of like hey like multiple locations? Is distribution like on the table? Like talk about like is distribution on the table how do you go about that and then and how do you maintain the sense of locality and sense of place because that's Wendell Berry's thing right the whole yeah. Jaber Crow story yeah. is like 
you live where you live. The car is an enemy. <laughs> like it's, you know, like, you know, having a sense of place, you belong where you belong, you live where you live, you're in touch with, you know, with the world in which you live. How do you maintain a sense of like locality and, and place while like thinking about expansion and distribution with a product like this? Like, what's that right. look like? Yeah. So that's actually a big part of our, you know, planning and thinking right now is like, we, we see distribution as a way to bring people back to this place. Huh. So we know that our, for our brand to grow and for our business to grow that, you know, not everybody's going to be able to drive or come to this space on a regular basis, uh, to support us. Um, cause you know, people are busy with COVID quarantine. They need to stay yeah. where they live. So they're not always going to be, we're not always going to be accessible for foot traffic. So, uh, we know distribution and getting our, our product outside of these walls and into stores and restaurants and bars yeah. is, is necessary to bring people back here. But that's how we've always seen it as we, we put our product out there, but the end goal is to, to find a way to bring them back huh. to our brick and mortar. Uh, and the long-term vision is to create a few local, like spaces in different communities that it becomes a cornerstone in a different place and around the city and, Eventually, we'd love to have like a, a farm brewery, like find a piece of land wow. that we can work with growers to come grow on that land, use that in our beer and have a have a space that is you have to come there to experience it. Yeah. And, and when you're there, you're experiencing that location and that, uh, you know, at that that place. So, yeah. Um, so we're still figuring out how that how that's gonna. Because you're involved. you're how old now? Two As years. We've been open two yeah. years. Yeah, that's a lot of movement in two years. Yeah. 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 So it's you know it's we're not sure how all that's gonna play out, but we've always seen distribution as something we're going to do, but it's not to get become a regional or national brewery where we're just pumping out beer and yeah. getting it all over the place. It's it's very intentional about connecting people with our products so that they want to come and come to this space and, and experience the, it here. One of the things that's fascinating to me about like about beer culture specific, uh, I think it's true, like booze culture to some degree in general, but like, is like, you know, it, where I live, Martinez, uh, east of Oakland, California, town called Concord where I grew up. Uh, right downtown, there was a, a, a place called EJ Fair and it was, you know, it was brewery, pub restaurant and it was like the spot downtown concord and then this other uh this other joint uh called um i'm gonna blank on the name of the place a hop grenade like they popped up and then right across from hop grenade uh this you know tower brewery or whatever and like no one was bummed what was fascinating is like it's it's not like other like food or coffee cultures where it's like you know, you've got your spot over here in the corner and then another coffee shop opens up across the way and people are like, ooh. There was this collaborative like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like, rad. That's awesome that these guys are over here. There really is this like, you're like you're sitting and wearing an Avery Brewing, uh, Avery Brewing cap. Yep. <laughs> um, there really isn't as much a sense of like competition among like breweries or like beer makers. There is like a, there's, there's a little bit more of a collaborative kind of thing I, 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 or at least from the outside, it seems that way that like there's like brewer, you know, brewers and beer makers, tap rooms like are kind of in it together. 
Like, what is that? What is that about? Like, why aren't you fighting? Like, what? Like, where? Where are the fist fights among the beer people? Like, what? Yeah. Like, what's that about? No, I, I think um, part of that is that, like, if you're if you're trying to get into making beer to make money, you're doing the wrong thing. Huh. So I think that's part of it. Is that you know a lot of people who start the breweries, um, oftentimes are just looking for the next thing. Like they're burnt out from corporate America, um, and they want to go do something that they enjoy. Um, and so it is kind of like a labor of love. And so like we all know how difficult it is to start a brewery, and so we want to be able to help other people who are also running their breweries or starting their breweries. So it's not like like it's a we know how hard it is, so we want to make it easier for other people. So if there's any knowledge or um, ingredients that we can share so we can, because we're small, um, if we work with other breweries in town to buy in larger quantities, yeah, we can actually see some better economies there. Um, and so really, like, we're all in this to um, just watch our businesses grow. And yeah. they're, they're all kind of just family businesses. Um, and a lot of things that are i like to think that like all of craft beer is kind of competing against the more macro beer okay so the uh, the anheuser-busch the coors miller coors um, so if any if all craft beer is winning then everyone kind of gets to ride the wave that's good um so i think that's why there's a lot of camaraderie a lot of collaboration um and there is competition, just not um, in a kind of like a going for blood kind of competition. Like everyone wants to brew the best beer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So everyone's like, oh, I'm going to compete to make sure that my IPA is better than the guy down the road. But it's because we want to drink good IPAs. It's not yeah. because I want to put the other guy out of business. Right, right, right. Yeah. And there's this idea of like, I guess in a lot, when you think of competition, you think of like feast or famine, like you're either winning and you're and you're and somebody else is losing. But I think craft beer, everybody kind of looks at it as there's space at the table for everybody and everybody's yes. bringing something different. And if the guy down the street's being successful, that means people are coming to that area for beer. And when they've tried his beer and then they hear there's another brewery that they can go visit that's close by, yes. then they're coming to that brewery next and they're going to try that beer. So it's really, there's there's room in for everybody. I think craft beer really believes that and sees that and that's why you can have cities like Asheville North Carolina where you're in a one part of town and there's 10 breweries that are all walking distance from each other and they're all doing something unique and different right that draws a different crowd but most of the time people are going to go and hit up every spot yes and so yeah there's yeah it's not fun the culture doesn't function from from like a like a scarcity mindset right or like there's right. only so people will only try so many beers right. <laughs> where beer, beer, beer folks are like no 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 like right how many beers are there like yeah. how, and how much time do i have i mean right. the, like what was the it's a place um what's it flying saucer is right. that like yeah. they've got like whatever 200 some odd beers on tap right. or whatever it is and like you get the tag and and the goal is to try, try them all, all of them. Yeah, yeah. And that's like th that you know the the scarcity mindset that runs so much other kind of culture. It really does seem generally absent. 
right from brew culture right which is pretty great and it's it's fun because it's like you definitely get your regulars who they pick out your brewery as that's going to be my home base yeah but then they're still going out and trying things but then they come back here because this is you know maybe we do a beer that they really like or a style that they really like but it doesn't mean that they're you know closed off to these other yeah. breweries in town Talk about primary obstacles. Like, in, so in terms of like uh, becoming a brewery, making beer, creating a, like a beer culture, are there are there things that like have been like dominant in terms of like here's an obstacle we have to we have to deal with? Are there like what what are, what are the things that might be like distinctive in terms of here's what's here's what's hard about being a brewery? Well, in the South, it's it's. The government it's the mm-hmm. laws that are still in place from an era that's you know far gone but, but you know out of prohibition prohibition yeah. and things so, that like, just, yeah. so for, so folks would hear that right and be right. like oh weird like how does that affect you so give yeah. me an example so, like, why, so, is it, why is it weird why is it hard? so in tennessee there's a study where Someone did a study one time where there's really a indirect correlation between the number of Baptist churches in a state and the number of breweries. <laughs> so the more Baptist churches, the lower the breweries. The more breweries, the lower the Baptist churches. <laughs> so like, just think of that at face value and where them, like where are the amount of breweries. Now this is probably like eight, you know, year, eight years ago, but still, huh. still somewhat true. But think of where craft beers popped up. Really, it's exploded on the West Coast. It's, it's exploded on the coastal lines, and it's slowly made it made its way inward. So you have again that's like that relationship to like religion and culture and faith and and alcohol and beer, is still at play, yeah. especially in places in the South like Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. Southern Baptist Convention based in Nashville. So yeah, part of it, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like a, it's an actual like legitimate like it's not just like a kind of cute notion. It's an actual right. obstacle. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean like a a very tangible way that this plays out is that um, brewers and uh, breweries cannot distribute outside of their county unless they work with a distributor, and so that immediately takes uh, margin off of your. Uh, product, which makes it more and more, which makes it more difficult to grow your business. Yeah. So that's just one is like, that's a very antiquated law. There's lots of other states that allow the statewide distribution. Um, so that's just one example of. So in other words, to get your beer out of your own county, you kind of have to give the government a cut. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 you have to, you have to give a third party, a a distributor who's going to be your middleman between you and the retailer. And then they get to take their cut out of it. What's the intention of the law? Like what, what, what's the intention of the law? Well, it goes back to that. Right. (laughs) Well, out of prohibition, the biggest breweries that survived basically went into distribution. So they helped form laws that made it requirement for a brewery to use a distributor so that's part of it and then it's just the culture it's like yeah they haven't really done much to change it because here in the south you know it's kind of you know you have a lot of people through the temperance movement and stuff that are trying to just limit how much alcohol can be shifted around but it's you know it hasn't really made much of a difference because it's still like you know whiskey is huge here yes yes it really is you know just you know and 
beer is catching on, um, I just think, you know, it's, it's taken longer just cause like we learned, like, you know, there are a lot of people that are like, man, I wish I could start a brewery. And you're like, well, why aren't there more breweries? There's a lot of people that say they want to start them. But then we started down that path and realized, wow, it's really hard. Cause you got to have so much upfront capital just to get, you have to, to get your permit, just to make the beer, to sell it. You have to have everything built and in place so that they can come and inspect it before you've ever made a drop to sell. And, yeah. uh, so it's, it's kind of a, you know, there are other States where, you can you could start home brewing and sell your home brew out of the back of your house and be a brewery and so there's no upfront investment other than your home brew equipment and your equipment yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but here it's like you got to put up half a million a million dollars or a couple million dollars before you can even make a product to, to huh. sell yeah. so that, that that was probably the biggest hurdle because that takes time and it takes yes. a lot of money and so and it's a massive risk. Right. Yeah. Yes. You also got to convince a lot of people. You got to convince, you know, investors. You got to convince our families. You got to convince your lawyer, the state, city, um, bank. bank. I mean, you got to convince your landlord that this is all a viable option. So you have to cast this vision for a lot of different people and have them buy into it. So, That's good. Which is a lot of work. Talk about – so this, this specific season, March 2020, I mean, you guys are – like you're two years old – there's kind of this momentum thing that happens. You kind of like normally it takes between two and three years for, for a culture like this to really catch people kind of be like, Oh, this is my spot. <laughs> March, 2020 hits. Yep. And the pandemic begins. There's a virus. You have to close your doors right. off and on. <clears throat> like talk about navigating this, uh, this season, namely because if, if the name of the game for you isn't just like to make great beer that's that's an element of it if the name of the game for you is community connection relationship like that's the thing that that is being squashed right so what's what's it look like what has it looked like for you to navigate this season since march as a brewery that's trying to put people together in a room to drink beer and connect yeah it's been it's been very difficult um Sucks. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've had to come up with new ways to get um, beer into the market. So we, like before March, we weren't doing really any bottling. Um, but now we've moved into a couple of different bottling methods. Um, hmm. So we've tried to encourage people, you know, to, to grab beer and go home. Um, and that they can still have community with their family at home or with neighbors on the porch, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really makes what we're trying to do not possible because, you know, having people in the location is the primary goal. And when the location is no longer a safe place to be, it's like we can't do what we want to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been it's been really difficult, not only uh, from a business perspective, but also, at least for me personally, like a moral, a morale perspective as well. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't have people in the room and you're not watching yeah, just, as many people yeah, yeah. try the beer. Yep. Yeah. Really, this time period, you know, we're, we're, we're in early December and so like we're in the middle of Advent. Really, since March 2020 has been a year of Advent. It's been a huh. year of anticipation and waiting that we've lost. We're missing this, this connection, this community, this wholeness um, that we're just can't, that we're just, 
so we, we anticipated so much. We, we, we just need to wait. And so really, like, I, I look at this time, this, I guess this, this time of isolation as, as the, the darkness of, of Advent. And so for us, it's been a really um, a lesson in that, that yeah. we can savor and appreciate um, those, that time gathered around the table and the bar, around huh. the beer, around the creation that much more. It'll be that much sweeter um, because of this holy anticipation that we've been going through um, during this time since March. Yeah, so that's really good. Um, let's say, you know, things play out and things go well. Let's, you know, you know, right now there's you know, sort of the pandemic ramping up again and like shutdowns, are, at least where I'm in California. Mm-hmm. I just got a text from my wife that um, the, the, the governor of California is deciding somehow, I don't know how you enforce this, but like you can't have pretty much you can't have gatherings in your own house. You can't have, you can't have like grandma or aunts and uncles over. They just, you're kind of shutting stuff down across the board. You know, the, the season passes, you, the things come back around, folks be able to come back. What's it look like? What does success long-term look like for you? So for Harding House, 15 years from now, if things work the way you want them to, what, what will success mean? Like, how will you mark success? What are the metrics you'll use? What will it mean for you to have been a successful brewery 15 years from now? I think for me, it's uh, like, I, I got into this not because I, I love beer so much that I needed to make it. I, it's really because I love Nate and I love his vision that I wanted to see it be successful. And for so for me, success is that this is a viable business that supports people's livelihood where they get to come in and, and practice their craft yeah. and make a living off of it and live well through it. And like I see like our bar staff and our, our brewing staff as like this is something that they can do as a career and they can support their families. And that, that to me is success is that we're, we're allowing other people to do something yeah. and provide a job and a livelihood and create that kind of community as a team. And, a, and, and because if, if we're able to do that, then that means we're doing our job well, bringing people together and, yeah. and do, making good beer, which, so that for me personally, is just, this is a, a career that people can That's good. live off of. Yeah, like and then I would say, to add to that, I think 15 years from now, I would like to see us be a catalyst for more like local ingredients being grown <laughs> and supported so that not only are we supporting our staff and creating solid jobs that way, but we're also supporting, you know, the local agriculture um, that are and the farmers that are using um, good farming practices uh, to not mass produce, but really partner with the earth as opposed to take from it. And I would like to see our business be um, a very strong contributor to the need for that type of farming yeah. and that type of agriculture. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'll probably second what Matt's saying is that success is going to be we've been a player in the sort of a, a, a um, like a, a grandfather and father in this sort of regional economy that is around Tennessee and yeah. the Southeast. And um, if people can see us as a, um, a creator of that, um, then like that would be success for me. One, a, a good quality product and 
course we we need to be making money to make it sustainable um, but also that we're just we are um, creating um, good stuff and you know and creating these regional and uh, local economies yeah. all around us so, yeah. yeah well thank you guys for your time yeah appreciate it yeah thanks for, great thanks for coming in the park near my house is a series of trails that intersect a small creek in a few spots, and in the winter, that creek rises, and it's almost impossible to cross at one location. So a few years ago, someone built a bridge over that spot. They saw a problem, and they created a solution in order to address it. Then a week or so later, someone else tore it down. And then in response, the original builder took some of the broken pieces from the first bridge and use them to assemble a new bridge. And I think that's actually how life works and moves forward, which is why I wrote that story into my next book entitled, It Is What You Make Of It. 15 stories that push back against the kind of it is what it is thinking that keeps us from entering into the world around us and living fully. The book comes out on June 1st. You can pre-order it now. I hope you do. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Etsy podcast. If you would like to follow up with and keep track of the Harding House team, you can jump to hardinghousebrew.com. It's H-A-R-D-I-N-G, Harding, and then house is, well, house. And brew is B-R-E-W, hardinghousebrew.com. From there, you can go find them at Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. They've got a great online store with some really, really cool swag. If you want to buy a beer from them, you got to be in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's a great spot. If you would like to follow up with and keep track of and support this podcast, jump to patreon.com and search my name, Justin McRoberts. We would love to have you on our team. Until next time.